Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. It's just uh, Jesus and us here at First Naz, at least from, from now through Easter. That's all we're concerning ourselves with, is getting to know Jesus. We, we started that at the very beginning of this year, deciding that between the beginning of the year and Easter, just Jesus. We would just lean into Jesus. We'd just live with Jesus. We'd just learn from Jesus. We would study his word. We would walk with him, and we would see how Jesus changes us if we just push aside all the other distractions, some very good ones, let's say, and focus just on him for these first few months. The rest of the Bible, it's, it's good. It's worthwhile. We've, we study it uh, a lot around here. But between now and Easter, just Jesus, okay? Just Jesus and us. Um, to kind of catch you up on, on where we've been and where we're going, uh, we're using the New Testament book called The Gospel According to Mark as our guide. And the reason that we're doing that is because Mark is the bare bones version of the life of Jesus. Those first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four different guys' versions of the life story of Jesus. And I chose Mark because it is just the cut and dried and whittled down and most basic form of Jesus that you're going to get. None of that mysterious conception story, none of the Christmas story, none of the stories from Jesus' infancy or from his childhood. Instead, Mark just introduces Jesus to us just three years before he's crucified. He introduces him to us by saying, oh, there was a, a formal introduction guy, kind of a, a, a late-night talk show uh, sidekick who introduced Jesus. He was really something of a, a wild man prophet. We know him as John the Baptist. And, and John had come and was calling out his countrymen on their sin and on the ways that they had just ignored God. And as people heard his message and kind of woke up spiritually to that message and to God, they went through a public ceremony that was a way of saying out loud without saying it out loud that you were turning away from your former way of life and you were going to face God and you were going to walk toward him in the hopes of having a tight and healthy relationship with him. And lots of people were waking up and lots of people were being baptized. John's ministry was really pretty incredible and it was was really gaining a lot of steam and a lot of attention from some folks who didn't like the message. One day, kind of at the peak of, of John's ministry, Jesus shows up. And Jesus, who was already close to God, had come down to the riverside that day because he wanted to be an example to the people who were asking the question, well, yeah, but once I face God, how is it that I connect with him? How is it that I, that I turn and walk toward him? How can I get close to God? And Jesus said, there's a first step that some of you have taken, and I'm going to take it too. And as an example to the people, Jesus himself, who didn't need to be washed, Jesus himself, who had no distance between him and the Father, Jesus himself was baptized. On Easter Sunday, we're going to baptize some folks around here, and you have some time to decide between now and then whether it's that time in your life, time for you to give some sort of public testimony to the fact that you are turning away from a former way of life and you are intently walking toward God with the intention of living your life in close relationship with him. You can, uh, you can learn more about that in weeks to come. And if you'd like to have a personal conversation with me or one of your pastors about that, just contact the church office. We'd be glad to, to talk with you about that. 
But as, as we get to the end of those first couple of chapters of Mark that I've just kind of summarized for you thus far, I think it's safe to say that Mark's theme thus far is all about closeness. It seems that Mark understood Jesus' ministry to be all about this message, closeness with God. And in chapter 2, Jesus uh, taught some things and, and did some things that made it abundantly clear that this was going to be the theme of his mission. These four important statements set the tone for the life of Jesus if you want to understand him and eventually have a relationship with him. The first principle is this. You're closer to God already than you think you are because God comes close to people. Secondly, other people are closer to God than you think they are. This judgment thing, we have got to get past it. Other people are closer to God than than you think they are. Third principle that Jesus taught was that um, imperfection, imperfection, anybody imperfect here today? Imperfection can't keep you distant from God because God isn't surprised by your imperfection and God isn't waiting for you to get all perfect before he comes close. The fourth principle is this, if I can remember it. One, two, three, four, one, two, three. Fourth principle is this, extra religion doesn't get you extra close to God. So all of your striving and your trying to impress God, knock it off. He already knows who you are and wants to be close to you. So by the time we get to the end of chapter 2, Mark and Jesus have made it abundantly clear that closeness to God is the message of the kingdom. And so while John had been foretelling prophetically the coming of the kingdom of God to earth at some point in the future, when Jesus kind of bursts on the scene the day of his baptism, he says, no, 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 it's no longer future. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is now and the kingdom is wherever God is. And if the kingdom is here, then it means God is here. He is close He is close. You can lay hands on the kingdom of God, get a hold of it, and participate in it. If you take take seriously what Jesus was saying that day, that the kingdom is here, that the kingdom is now, that God is present with us, it will literally change the way that you view everything in this life. You'll view God differently. You'll view people differently. You will view yourself differently. Get a hold of that notion that the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is now, God is present. It will absolutely change your life. As we go on through the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see more stories that talk about closeness of God to man. And we're going to work today from uh, a little bit back in in Mark chapter 2. We're going to read part of Mark chapter 2 and part of Mark chapter 3. We're going to come back to this theme of closeness. I read this to you two weeks ago. this first part that we're going to read from the scriptures. I I read this to you a couple of weeks ago and commented on it. But really, today's story uh, doesn't fit nicely with the chapter breaks in the book of Mark. So we've got to back up to Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. I'm going to let you remain seated. Um, A lot of times, if you've been around here much, you know that I invite people to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We certainly don't intend any dishonor by letting you sit there today. But I want to offer you a couple of options. One is to follow along You'll see the the scriptures printed on the screen. But sometimes um, it's just better for a person to relax and close her eyes and listen to the story and let your mind and your heart and the Spirit of God go somewhere together. So I want to offer you that option. I'm going to read it, though. It goes like this. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, 
his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures that what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. Hear that. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue and noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and said, question, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and he was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. And in case you don't know the uh, New Testament map of Israel, everywhere. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd wouldn't crush him. He'd healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God! But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. I think it's really just one story from the life of Jesus, though your versions of the Bible probably broke it up and put different headings in there, so you thought it was a bunch of, of episodes just butted up against one another. I, I read it really like it's one story, and it's, it's one story about getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. The story begins with Jesus and, 
some of his disciples heading to the synagogue. They'd, I don't know where they'd been, but they were outside of town and they were headed toward the village. And instead of staying on the road, they cut through one of the grain fields. And as they went, I suppose not having had breakfast, they just broke off some heads of wheat, did a little bit of this, like you and I have when you, because you grew up around here and you've been in wheat fields and and they were chomping on a little bit of grain. No big deal, right? But there were Pharisees who were watching their every single move. And so as the guys did that, they looked at Jesus and said, <clears throat> you're not teaching them to do it right. This business of being really religious. And they had, in fact, caught Jesus' disciples in, uh, in, in the act of factually actually, legally, breaking a Sabbath law because their religious authorities and in their day and in their place, religious authorities were also governmental authorities. Their authorities had written uh, extensively about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And in fact, doing this and having a bite to eat along the way was in fact part of the code and forbidden. They were guilty, guilty, guilty. It's interesting, however, that as you read the text, that Jesus wasn't doing it, and so the guys who went, aha, we got you now, Jesus, actually didn't have Jesus now, just his disciples. And Jesus took that opportunity to then say to the religious authorities, and let's just call them what they were, the religious jerks of the day, he took that opportunity to tell the religious jerks of the day that you don't even understand the law that you're trying to protect. Because this day, the Sabbath, isn't this thing that's supposed to push people to their limits and break them. Instead, the Sabbath is a gift from God in which people are freed from all kinds of other things so that they have one whole day a week in which they can draw close to God and reflect on the fact, remind themselves that God is drawing close to them. He's closer than you think. Sabbath is for people, Jesus said. And as, they, uh, fin- as he finished the lesson, they had come to the edge of the village, and it was, in fact, the Sabbath day, and so everybody was, was headed for religious observation at the synagogue, kind of the Jewish local church of, the, of their time. And Jesus goes on into the synagogue, and the disciples follow him in, and so do the religious jerks of the day. And waiting for him there is a man who has some sort of deformity in his hand. It's important to note that because this deformity um, played a big factor in the man's life, particularly in his religious life. Because the law, remember the law that's been pointed out and is so important already in the story? The law said that this man, because of his, uh, his deformity, could not participate in the full religious and spiritual life of his nation and of his community. Three times a year, all able-bodied males and most of the females were expected to make the trip down to Jerusalem to the temple, and there would be a great sacrifice that was made and and some offerings that were given to God, and there would be a great celebration and worship and time with your family and your friends, but only the able-bodied could go, and his deformity in his hand meant that he was never welcome, not once, any of those three times a year for all of his life. If he was anywhere near Jesus' age, he'd already missed 90 of them. 90 times that the family got together. 90 times that the neighborhood made the trip together. 90 times he'd been excluded. 
The synagogue was all that he had. It was less than the temple, but at least he had this. So he'd go to the synagogue each week. And as Jesus had taught that powerful lesson as they walked through the wheat, hey, the, sin, the, the, the Sabbath is for helping people. The Sabbath is to help people understand how close God is and how he loves being close to him. He walks into the synagogue and here's a guy who's been told his whole life, you can only get so close to God because your kind of broken can't be fixed. Jesus sees him and he notices this, this reality in this man's body and also in his spirit. Without breaking stride, Jesus goes right up to the front of the synagogue in front of the whole crowd like he's running the place. And he calls the man up front. And the religious jerks were so excited because they'd busted Jesus' guys earlier, but Jesus got the guys off the hook with his little spiritual lesson. And now they had this guy there. I don't know, maybe they'd put him right there where Jesus would notice. I don't know, but Jesus calls the guy right up front. And they know, having watched Jesus, that he is not going to be able to restrain himself from helping this guy. So Jesus calls the guy right up front. And he looks at the religious jerks in the room. And he says, I got a question for you. Let's see how well you learned the lesson that I was trying to teach you all about five minutes ago. What's the Sabbath for? I mean, is it, is it an opportunity for us to show people that God's close and likes to be close, like to get closer? Or is it a day in which we should enforce the religious rules that crush this poor man's heart? And Jesus waited for an answer. Now I want you to feel this, because it's important. He's just had a showdown out there in the wheat field, and Jesus hadn't been gentle with these guys. He, he put them right back on their heels. And as they, they go into the synagogue, they're half mad at him anyway, but now they know they've got him. And the reason that this matters is because if Jesus heals this guy and they can, can prove through their way of reading the scriptures and the law that healing is in fact working, it's like being a doctor and practicing medicine, then Jesus will have in fact broken the Sabbath law that says don't do any work on the Sabbath. And the reason that that matters is because if a person broke the Sabbath, the law said that there was a very harsh penalty. And depending upon how you would read that, that law, it was either execution or exile. Kill him or cut him off, kick him out of the country and send him somewhere else to live. Either way they knew, we have been trying to get rid of Jesus and now we have finally got the goods if he just heals this guy. Here we go. What's Jesus going to do? Teach the lesson, but keep the law and not heal the guy, tell him to come back tomorrow, we'll take care of it? No. Jesus does the only right thing, which is in that moment, to take care of that person. And so he asks the question, did you learn the lesson is this a day in which we make this guy's life or is it a day in which we finally crush him to the place that he no longer wants to be close to God? 
And nobody answers the question. Jesus looks at him and says, answer the question. It's not a trick question. There's just one answer. And you know what it is. Somebody answered the question. Why won't anybody answer the question? So he just looks at the guy and says, let me see that. So the man stretches out his hand. It's well and it's whole. Jesus says that's what the Sabbath is for. Quit trying to make it something you got to measure up to. And just like that, Jesus said, I'm done with this place. And he turned around and he walked outside. I guess the service is over now. (laughs) Because the text says that virtually everybody went with him. And as he left, he walked down along the lake. And lots of people were joining him at the lake. And here, Mark tells us more about this, this idea of getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And he identifies three groups of people that it's important that you understand and know how to identify as we read the rest of, of Mark's story about Jesus' life. The first group is these masses that that just seem to show up wherever Jesus is. Mark calls them the crowd, so we'll call them the crowd. And the crowd would show up any time that that Jesus' presence was made known because they heard that Jesus did good things for people. He would work miracles that, you know, made their kids who were, who, who were crippled able to walk or, or made their, their mama who'd been blind for years suddenly able to see deaf people could hear. They had, they had heard rumors that he'd actually resurrected people from the dead. We'll read later in, this, in, in Mark and later in the other Gospels about how Jesus sometimes just fed people practically out of thin air and how Jesus would occasion make wine for people and it was always good, good, good wine. And so the crowds would always show up because there were goodies. That's what they were interested in. They didn't know about who Jesus was really and, and what his destiny was, but they knew that in the moment when you were in the presence of Jesus, there were good things that would come your way and they showed up for the goodies. That's what the crowd was interested in. But part of the, and this crowd, they were, they were close to Jesus. In fact, the text tells us that they would sometimes draw so close to Jesus that he would have to take preemptive measures to keep from getting trampled or crushed by people who are trying to get a piece of him. So he had the disciples, you know, put, put a boat in the water and take him out just a little ways, and he could, you know how your voice carries over water and works like an amphitheater, so he could, he could speak to the whole crowd. These folks wanted to be close to Jesus, but they wanted to be close to Jesus so they could get what they could get. Part of the, uh, the, the group, however, Jesus called to him, and he called these folks Disciples. He selected some from the masses to come and be closer with him, to travel with him a little bit, but specifically so that he could teach them how to do the kingdom. Remember the kingdom that he said isn't future, it's now, and it's here? He said, well, if the kingdom's here, we better teach some people how to do it, how to live within it, how to, how to view God through a kingdom lens, how to view other people through a kingdom lens, how to view government and church and myself through a kingdom lens. 
teach you what the, what the kingdom sounds like and what the kingdom feels like and what the kingdom's values are. And so Jesus had disciples. It's a word that means learners. And he called them, some of them, out of that larger crowd who was just there for the goodies so that they could learn about the kingdom. These folks were, were probably, uh, let's say, lifelong students. We, we all know some of those, right? The folks who are always taking one more class and one more seminar and reading one more book or viewing one more video so they can tell you one more thing because their minds just love to learn. I had a cousin that I thought, had, I thought college was like prison when I was a little kid. I thought you went for the rest of your life because I had a cousin who just, he was just always in college as long as I knew him. Um, maybe he thought it was too, I don't know. But these disciples were folks who were interested in the teaching of Jesus. Because Jesus said things that nobody else said. And then he said some things that all of their religious teachers said. And then said, oh, by the way, ain't true. And he would take those, those traditional sayings and give them a half twist so that people could really understand what the kingdom's like. Because the kingdom sometimes backwards and sometimes upside down to the ways that we have, uh, have learned to do religion. There's the crowd. They're the ones who want the goodies. There's the disciples. They're the ones who want, who want to learn. They're interested in the teaching of Jesus. But we don't read in the, in the gospel much about these folks going out and doing the work of the kingdom. That group that went out and did the work of the kingdom, Jesus selected from among the smaller group of disciples. So we've got, the, we've got the larger group, the masses, the crowds interested in the goodies. We've got this smaller group that Jesus has called to him and he called them up the mountain. His disciples are the people who are going to be interested in, in the teaching. But from that smaller group of disciples, he selected 12 and he pulled them very close to him for personal relationship. And in fact, they seem to have been his disciples for some time by the time we get to the text that we read today, because they had become so trusted and known by Jesus that he gave them the job of being ambassadors of the kingdom. They could be trusted to go out there in his name and say, this is what Jesus sent me to do. They could go and speak a message, preach, and say, that's what Jesus says. They could go out and, and take authority over evil spirits. And that um, kind of included both the things that Hollywood has popularized as exorcisms, but also healing people. And they could go out and do those things just like Jesus himself had and in his name. So we've got the crowd. It's the people who are pushing in, trying to get a piece of Jesus and the good stuff that he hands out. We've got a smaller group that he selected from them and said, you, you, you like to learn? Come and learn about the kingdom. And from among that smaller group of disciples, he pulled some close to him, taught them up close and personally, and then pushed them right back out to go do the kingdom. That's the message of the apostles. That's the real job description. I trust you. I grant you my own authority. Go do the kingdom. You know, it's interesting. And among all these followers of Jesus, crowd, disciples, apostles, all of whom had received good things from Jesus, all of whom had heard his messages, all of whom 
had seen him work miracles. Almost all of them fell away. They abandoned Jesus. They repented again. Remember the word repent? Repent in the way that we classically use it means turn away from my, from my life of sinfulness. I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to I want to go toward God, and I face Him, and I, and I walk toward Him, and I realize He's been running toward me and closing that gap, and now we're going to have this tight, healthy, holy relationship. These folks repented of that and turned back and went the other way. Again, they turned their backs on Jesus and left Him. The crowds did. Most of His disciples did. But His apostles stood the test. Now, they got some wobbly knees. If you know the, the full Jesus story, you know, they got some wobbly knees for a while. One of them, uh, he fell away completely. The others, they, uh, they were kind of sketchy for about a day or two. But they, they passed the test and remained faithful to him. What do you suppose made the difference between the people who stayed and the people who left. I think I know what it is. See, the apostles, the ones who remained faithful to him, they are the ones who accepted a call to do the work of ministry. Now hear me, I'm not telling you these guys are pastors. I'm not equating the two, and you shouldn't either. But what seemed to make the difference in falling away or staying faithful, getting, getting close and staying close to Jesus, was that they accepted the responsibility to go and do the work of ministry in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something that I have discovered in my life and that I have discovered by reading the Scriptures Ministry will bind your heart to Jesus like miracles and teaching never can. I'm going to say it again because it's important. You doing the work of ministry will bind your heart to Jesus like watching him perform miracles and listening to great sermons and Bible lessons never can. Your pastor's sermon has less power to connect you to Jesus than your acts of service to your fellow man. I stand by it. I'm at best the third best thing you've got in connecting with God. You can pray and ask him for miracles. You can, you can go to a different church that specializes in miracles. You can find one of those guys that travels around the world claiming to work miracles in his name. You'll find a way to explain most of it away. Because miracles, for some reason, don't seem to have keeping power. Even when people watch Jesus himself do them. Nobody ever taught better than Jesus. Nobody ever taught more effectively than Jesus. I guarantee you that 2,000 years from now, nobody will be studying the sermons of Cliff. And here we are. And so about a billion other people have also stopped today. 
and taking a look at the life and the ministry of Jesus around this world. And a bunch of them will fall away. Over the course of my life in ministry, a couple of decades now, there are literally more people who used to listen to me preach than there are people who currently do. Teaching doesn't keep people. I've watched people come and go for miracles and the goodies. I've watched people come and go because the teaching was good, mine or somebody else's. But you know who sticks around? It's the people who will accept the call to serve other people. Mark tells this, this story about closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus. You know who are the closest? The people he sent away from him. Now get that. There's, there's the, the unbelievers who didn't even show up. There's the crowd who came to get something. Jesus had to say, uh, hold them back there. They're going to kill me. Some came up the mountain with him, but when the teaching got too hard, uh, back down the mountain, keep a little distance. But the ones that Jesus pulled up close and said, hey, I'm sending you out in my name. Get away from me now. Go do the work. They're the ones who stood the test of time because they accepted the call to serve Because doing ministry, serving, will bind your heart to Jesus like miracles and teaching never can. See, if you just come for the goodies, hang out for a while, and you come because you, you like the teaching, but you don't go and do it, frankly, I won't bet on you. And what looks like faith on the surface will be a very surfacey faith. And it probably won't last for you. So somebody got the message. And they said, huh, Jesus likes to be close to people. And he wants people to understand that God's close. Nobody's, I wonder who's closest to Jesus his family. Nobody's closer than fam- nobody's closer than family, right? So his mom and his brothers show up one day, and this guy goes, "Oh, I got to I got to tell Jesus because the people who are closest to him in the whole world are here." So he presses through the crowd. Jesus, guess what? The people who are closest to you in the whole world are here. And Jesus said, "I know." They said, "Your mom and brothers," and he said, "Uh, uh." And feel that. As much as you feel him wailing on the religious jerks, feel what he said to that guy. Feel what he said to his mom. Feel what he said to his brothers. You're not the closest. Well, if family isn't the closest, then who is? And Jesus said, I already showed you. I already showed you. Out in the field, when I said, yeah, it's okay to have a snack. 
I already showed you in the synagogue when I said there shouldn't be a law that keeps you from helping anybody ever. In a moment, the communion teams are going to come. And they're going to serve to you um, these tiny little helpings of bread and of grape juice. Typically, whenever Christians gather around and, and participate in this uh, symbolic ceremony, we're making sure that we remember that Christ died for us. This represents his body, which was broken by crucifixion. This represents his blood, which was spilled out also by crucifixion, but, but counted, we read in the scriptures, as a sacrifice by a holy priest to take care of all the sins in the world. That's how we usually practice communion. But I want to ask you today, to maybe take this a different way. Instead of receiving this as a gift from God to you, how about, how about you, you take these in your hands and you make them your pledge to God that you're done taking, that you're done just listening, and then when you leave this place, you're going to make your life about helping other people. It doesn't have to be incredibly dramatic. You don't have to go find a homeless person. You can. You don't have to find a religious jerk. They're not hard to find. You can probably find some of them too. It can be as simple as going home and helping in ways that you usually won't help. It can be as simple as going to work and being kind to the person that you'd rather avoid. It can be as simple as walking next door and helping your neighbor with whatever that thing is that's left undone. You see, it doesn't even have to be obviously spiritual. Because what's spiritual about this? Nothing. The guy just needed something to grab lunch with, right? So... Jesus helped him. What was so spiritual about nothing? They just needed a snack on their way to church. You know, when my kids were little, um, first of all, just um, can we offer real empathy and sympathy to the people whose kids are at the age right now that it's hard to get them to go to bed, okay? Our love to all of you and our gratitude to the Lord for those of us who are no longer there. These are the times that try men's souls, right? And uh, at our house, it was, you know, time to go to bed, time to go to bed, time to go to bed. Put them in bed, prayers, conversation, all those things. And then I would go upstairs, and just as I sank into the sofa, I would hear, Daddy, I need a drink. I don't know why I didn't just go upstairs and stand for one minute. But they probably would have figured that out too. 
And I remember one, you know, countless times I would just say to him, no, just go to sleep. You're just stalling. And one night I knew it was coming. I was mad as I headed up the stairs because I knew what was going to happen. I get up there and I sit down and sure enough, one of the kids says, daddy, I want a drink of water. And I open my mouth to scold them. And I swear the spirit of God grabbed a hold of my tongue, about pulled it out of my head. You know what he said to me while he kept me from speaking? And anyone who gives a cup of cold water to these little ones in my name has done it to me. It was the day that I realized the cup of cold water isn't symbolic. It's actually giving somebody a drink. You can, you can do the will of God in, in, in something as simple as a kindness to a child who doesn't want to go to bed yet. In fact, the end of the story, Jesus said, you want to know who's closest to me in this whole world? It's the people who help other people. With a snack and the ability to get lunch, let's say. That's my family, Jesus said. Why don't we do this today? As our pledge to him, I'm just going to go be good to people. You want to do religious stuff? You can do that too. Just understand it won't get you extra close to God, but this will. If you'll go and do the will of God.